I'll be reading verses 1 through 19 through the end of the chapter. This is God's holy, inspired, and inerrant Word. The words of Jeremiah, the son of Hilkiah, one of the priests who were in Anathoth in the land of Benjamin, to whom the word of the Lord came in the days of Josiah, the son of Ammon, king of Judah, in the thirteenth year of his reign. It came also in the days of Jehoiakim, the son of Josiah, king of Judah, until the end of the eleventh year of Zedekiah, the son of Josiah, king of Judah, until the captivity of Jerusalem in the fifth month. Now the word of the Lord came to me, saying, Before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. And before you were born, I consecrated you. I appointed you a prophet to the nations. Then I said, O Lord God, behold, I do not know how to speak, for I am only a youth. But the Lord said to me, Do not say, I am only a youth. For to all whom I send you, you shall go, and whatever I command you, you shall speak. Do not be afraid of them, for I am with you to deliver you, declares the Lord. Then the Lord put out his hand and touched my mouth. And the Lord said to me, Behold, I have put my words in your mouth. See, I have set you this day over nations and over kingdoms to pluck up and to break down, to destroy and to overthrow, to build and to plant. And the word of the Lord came to me saying, Jeremiah, what do you see? And I said, I see an almond branch. Then the Lord said to me, You have seen well, for I am watching over my word to perform it. The word of the Lord came to me a second time saying, What do you see? And he said, I see a boiling pot facing away from the north. Then the Lord said to me, Out of the north disaster shall be let loose upon all the inhabitants of the land. Behold, I am calling all the tribes of the kings of the north, declares the Lord. And they shall come, and every one shall set his throne at the entrance of the gates of Jerusalem, against all its walls, all around, and against all the cities of Judah. And I will declare my judgments against them for all the evil in forsaking me. They have made offerings to other gods and worshipped the works of their own hands. But you, dress yourself for work. Arise and say to them everything I command you. Do not be dismayed by them, lest I dismay you before them. And I, behold, I make you this day a fortified city, an iron pillar, and bronze walls against the whole land, against the kings of Judah, its officials, its priests, the people of the land. They will fight against you, but they shall not prevail against you. For I am with you, declares the Lord, to deliver you. As we have seen these past few weeks, the grass withers, the flowers fall, but the word of the Lord remains forever. You may be seated. Let's pray. Lord God, uh, we thank You this morning for Your Word which endures forever. Pray, Lord, 
during this time now, we might hear your word that despite all the evil that is happening in the world, that we are assured from your word that you are working. You're working your will and your purpose. So give us that assurance today through your word, Lord God, and through your servant, that we might be encouraged to walk by faith. In Christ we ask. Amen. Have you ever been asked to do something that you couldn't do? In the Lord of the Rings, Frodo said, I'm not made for perilous quests. I wish I'd never seen the ring. Why did it come to me? Why was I chosen? Such questions cannot be answered, really, Gandalf said. You may be sure that it was not for any merit that others do not possess, nor for wisdom or power or at any rate, but you have been chosen. And you must therefore use such strength and heart and wits as you have. Jeremiah was asked by God to do something that he couldn't do. And naturally, he refused. He gave excuses. But God didn't accept his excuses. And nor does he accept ours. God gave Jeremiah promises, and then he gave him assurances that he would keep those promises. And we, we walk by faith, not by sight. We don't often see what God's doing. But we trust that He's doing His work. But in this Christian walk, we need God's assurances that He will be with us. My main text really is is verses 6 through 19, but uh, I wanted to read the entire chapter because the first part of it gives us really the context, the, introdu- inter- the uh, editorial introduction in the first three verses gives us three important information, pieces of information which is basic to the understanding of the whole book. First, we get some personal details about the prophet Jeremiah. It tells us who his father is, Helkiah, who's a priest. It tells us what his hometown uh, is, it's Anathoth. Anathoth is a town just three miles northeast of Jerusalem. You can walk it in an hour. And I imagine people walk to the city often from Anathoth. And then, it, secondly, it tells us the divine source of Jeremiah's messages. He says, to whom the word of the Lord came. And it's the, it's the Hebrew word Yahweh. Yahweh. He's the source of Jeremiah's messages. And three, it tells us the period during which Jeremiah's ministry took place. Roughly, it was from 627 B.C. to 587 B.C. It tells us it was actually during the days of of Josiah, when Josiah was king. In fact, it was the 13th year of Josiah's reign that uh, this call came to Jeremiah. Just a little bit of history, by the way, his ministry lasted 40 years, Jeremiah's ministry. A little of uh, geopolitical background here of what was going on. 
at the time of, of Josiah, actually way back to his grandfather, Manasseh, we know from Second Chronicles that Manasseh was a wicked, evil king. Uh, he, was a, he, he reigned for years and years, but he was evil. He, at the time, the, uh, Judah was a vassal to the Assyrians. The Assyrians held authority and power over Judah, and the, the uh, Israelites, the Judahites, uh, would pay monetary tribute to the Assyrians. But not only that, they were also forced to bow to the gods of the Assyrians. Manasseh was taken to Nineveh, the capital city of Assyria, and into their temple and told to bow down to their gods, which he did. And then he he brought back, he was to bring back this model of the temple, take it back to Jerusalem and put it in the temple in Jerusalem. And pay homage to their gods. And uh, Manasseh led Judah into idolatry against the Lord. It was abject rebellion against uh, their God. Eventually, Assyria sort of decreased in power and the Egyptians became more powerful. And, And then Judah became a vassal of Egypt. And it was during that time that Josiah came into power. And Josiah uh, was only eight years old when he became king. So there was a council of state that really kind of uh, ran matters until Jeremiah was roughly a teenager. And it says in 2 Chronicles that he called upon the God of David. And uh, he began to make reforms. He noted he, he didn't want to do go the same, down the same road that his grandfather had gone. Uh, in fact, uh, and uh, Manasseh's son only lasted two years, and he was assassinated. And that's when Jer- Jeremiah or Josiah became uh, became king. And he started these reforms uh, at, at the, about the age of sixteen. When jo- Jeremiah gets his call, Josiah is twenty one years old. I mean, you think about. It. In fact, when Jeremiah gets his call, it, you know, it says here, I'm only a youth. He's saying I'm only a youth. He was only 17 years old when Jeremiah got the call. Now, I don't know about you, but you know, I often think about when you think about the, the Old Testament prophets of Isaiah, Jeremiah, Ezekiel, Daniel, you think of these old guys. <laughs> well, they were when they finished. But when they started, in fact, you know, so... Jeremiah is 17. Um, Ezekiel was 25 years old. Isaiah, we don't know exactly his age, but he prophesied for 60 years. So when he started, he was young. And Daniel was, quote, a youth. All these people were young people, probably in their, in their teens when they started their ministry. And, and I want to say that as an encouragement to young people here today. You know, God can use you now. We often think, well, I have to wait till I'm an adult and do this. No, God, God is active in your life today. If you know Him, He's your Lord and Savior. He is working in your life. 
So anyway, this, this is the historical background. They were a vassal to Egypt. Under Josiah, actually, and under his reforms, they, they became independent for a while. But eventually, the, the reforms didn't last that long. They, they, were, they were basically uh, superficial in nature as far as the people were concerned. It's uh, like we just read in 2 Timothy, uh, having the form of godliness but denying its power. That was the case with the, the Judaites. The reforms were, uh, trans, were uh, transitory and they were superficial. So then in verses 4 and 5 we get the call, this call to Jeremiah. Again, he's 17, the king is 21 years old. Now the word of the Lord came to me, and again, it's all capitals, it's Yahweh. The word of the Lord came to me saying, before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. There are three verbs used in, in verse in verses, uh, 5. New, consecrated, and appointed. I just want to mention those, the importance of those words. New is the Hebrew word yada, to know. And it, it's, it's beyond a mere intellectual knowledge. It has to do with a personal, a personal commitment that Yahweh is making here. It's a, it has the sense of a setting His affection on. It's a covenant commitment that God is making here. Uh, in fact, in, in Amos 3.2, it says, God is say, speaking here, He says, speaking to Israel, You only have I known of all the families of the earth. Well, obviously, God knows all about all the families of the earth, but He says, you only have I known. So it's not information. It's, it's, it's a personal attachment and setting His affection on and covenant. In fact, in fact uh, some translations in Amos 3.2 say, you only have I chosen of all the families of the earth. That's the English word they use, but that's the idea here. And we say here, we see here in this passage, before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. So, it's knowledge before. Or, and when we read in the New Testament, foreknowledge, that's what it means in Romans, in Romans 8. Those whom God foreknew. That is, He knew beforehand. In fact, we, we see, we see um, in, in Ephesians 1, God chose you before the foundation of the world. It's the same idea. That's the, that's the truth that's coming through here when, when God says to him, Before I formed you in the wound, I knew you. I, I set my affection on you. I've made a... Uh, you are a member of the covenant here. Secondly, before, I, before you were born, I consecrated you. And that's the, that's a, uh, the word kadesh means uh, to, to set apart for something important that God is doing. And that's what uh, God is telling Jeremiah. Well, what is God doing? Well, He is saving. He's rescuing. He's blessing. He's providing. He's judging. He's uh, enlightening. He's healing. He's doing all those things. You know, we're, we're in a, a spiritual war is in progress right now as we're here today. A spiritual war is in progress. And Every square inch of space is contested. 
And there's no neutral ground here in this war. Jesus said, "Who is not, he who is not with me is against me. There's no neutral ground. And before his birth, Jeremiah was enlisted on God's side in this war. And so are you. And so am I. We're enlisted on God's side in this, content, in this war. We're not spectators. The third verb is the word appointed. I appointed you a prophet to the nations. And the Hebrew word there, Natan, literally means to give. He's, he's in essence saying, I, I am giving you as a prophet to the nations. Um, now, these words apply to us. These verbs here apply to us. Now, he's, we're not called to be prophets as Jeremiah was, but we have been known before the foundation of the world. We have been set apart for what God is doing on His side, and we are given away. We're given away to our families, to our neighbors, to our friends, to our enemies, to the nations. We are, we are given away. Our life is for others. So that's the whole background here, and that's God's call, Jeremiah, at the age of 17. And now the, the main part of the, of the text I want to deal with here is beginning of verse 6. Then I said, Ah, Lord, that is Adonai here. Adonai Elohim. Ah, Lord God, behold, I do not know how to speak, for I am only a youth. But Yahweh said to him, Do not say I'm only a youth. Well, let's just, let's just take the... Uh, his excuse here. I don't, know, I don't know how to speak. I'm only a youth. It's much like Moses. You know, as opposed to as opposed to Jeremiah, who was called at age 17, Moses was 80 years old when he was called. So, like I say, you know, it doesn't matter what your age is. God uses His people. God works through His people. And there are two primary convictions of a prophet. Number one, that God is personal, He's alive, and He's active. And number two, what is happening right now is critical. That's important. What is happening right now is critical. How often do you actually live in the present? How often are you either not thinking about the past or not thinking about the future? It's really not very often we think about it. We have a hard time living in the present. We're always looking ahead or we're looking back. But God is always active only in the present. He will be active in the future and He has been active in the past, but He is active in this moment, in the present. And it's a conviction of a prophet that what's happening right now is critical. The work of a prophet is to let people know who God is, what He says, and what He is doing. And Jeremiah refused. He wasn't qualified. The truth of the matter is, we are inadequate. We really are. Jeremiah was telling the truth. 
And it's true for us. In our, in our own selves, we are inadequate. There's a gap between what we think we can be and, be and do and what God calls us to be and do. But God does not send us because we're qualified. He actually calls us in order to qualify us. Notice what Paul says in 2 Corinthians 3, 4, and 6. Such is the confidence that we have through Christ toward God. Not that we are sufficient in ourselves to claim anything is coming from us. But our sufficiency is from God. Who has made us sufficient to be ministers of a new covenant. Not of the letter, but of the Spirit. For the Spirit kills, the letter kills, but the Spirit gives life. God makes us sufficient for the task that He calls us to do. Philippians 2.13 says, God is at work in you, both to will and to do, or to work, according to His good purpose. And that's the assurance that God is going to give Jeremiah here. God is at work in you to will and to do according to His purpose. And so God replies to Jeremiah here in verse 7. But Yahweh said to me, Do not say, I'm only a youth. For to all whom I send you, you shall go. And whatever I command you, you shall speak. There was no choice uh, of an audience who the audience would be for Jeremiah he was to go to anyone and to everyone to whom God might send him and there was no choice of the message either he was to tell his audience all that God had commanded him all that Yahweh commanded him and it was a continuing conviction of Jeremiah's that he was simply speaking the word Yahweh had given him and he declared this at times in his life of extreme peril uh, when it might have been to his advantage to sort of modify the message but in chapter 37 of Jeremiah Zedekiah is king at the time and Zedekiah says to Jeremiah is there a word from Yahweh? Jeremiah could only reply, There is. You shall be delivered into the hands of the king of Babylon. You know, not a popular message to speak that to the king. He never backed down. He only spoke what God gave him. You know, it may be, it's, uh, may be sound theology to say one man against God is a majority. And maybe you've heard that. But when that one man faces the king or faces a crowd of people who believe differently, you're in the hour of actual confrontation. You need more than theoretical theology. You need a deep conviction that God will be with you. And that's what God was giving to Jeremiah here. Verse 8. 
Do not be afraid of them, for I am with you to deliver you, declares the Lord Yahweh. Now, if Jeremiah knew the Exodus story, and there's no reason to believe that he didn't know it, he would have known that Yahweh delivered his people out of Egypt. But the verb used here, delivered, was used in other well-known narratives beside the Exodus story. For example, the deliverance of David from the paw of the bear and the paw of the lion, uh, as he speaks, as he shares his experience in 1 Samuel uh, 17 just before going out to face Goliath. And the word was used in in, uh, songs sung in the temple, in the temple services, with a much wider meaning than simply physical deliverance. So if Jeremiah was to speak for Yahweh, he had Yahweh's assurance that no harm would befall them. Verse 9, Then Yahweh put out His hand and touched my mouth. And the Lord said to me, Behold, I have put my words in your mouth. This is reminiscent of the promise to Moses in Deuteronomy chapter 18, verse 18, where God says to Moses, I will raise up for them a prophet like you from among their brothers, and I will put my words in his mouth and he will speak them, speak to them all that I command him. Maybe Jeremiah identified with that verse uh, to Moses, and it increased his assurance, his reassurance that God was, if God put his word in his mouth, I mean, look what happened. And of course, that, that prophesies uh, eventually speaking about Christ there in Deuteronomy 18:18. But the, this uh, anthropomorphism where it talks about Yahweh putting out His hand and touching Jeremiah's mouth was a powerful way of saying that Yahweh would be perpetually, personally involved and identified with all that Jeremiah would do in, in his ministry. You, see, you actually see the same motif in Isaiah chapter 6 at the call of Isaiah who again was a young man at the time, whose lips Yahweh is said to have touched. And Ezekiel, at the age of 25, had had Yahweh's words placed in his mouth in Ezekiel chapter 2. And continuing on, Yahweh says in verse 10, See, I have set you this day over nations and over kingdoms to pluck up and to break down, to destroy and to overthrow, to build and to plant. Jeremiah was, was actually was given authority. That's kind of what the Hebrew, uh, the idea of this Hebrew word of appointing you, I have set you this day over to authority over nations and kingdoms in two different directions. He was to proclaim oracles about their overthrow or about their restoration. Certainly in regard to Judah and Jerusalem, he delivered strong messages of judgment. You read through the book of Jeremiah. But also later in his ministry, he delivered strong, he delivered messages that were, uh, spoke of restoration. In fact, in chapter 20, 20, uh, 31, he speaks about a new covenant that God will make 
and uh, will put the Word of God in their hearts. Clearly, he would have preferred to speak about to, to not speak about plucking up and tearing, breaking down, or destroying or overthrowing, but rather of building and planting. But as I said, he had no choice of the message he would deliver. Whatever God told him to say, that's what he had to say, and that's what he said. Eight verses down the page. Jeremiah is no longer inadequate. Notice verses 18 and 19. And behold, I make you this day a fortified city, an iron pillar, and bronze walls against the whole land, against the kings of Judah, its officials, its priests, and the people of the land. They will fight against you, but they shall not prevail against you. For I am with you, declares the Lord. Everything we know about Jeremiah shows that this is in fact what happened. Jeremiah was an iron pillar, a fortified wall. He never backed down in his message. He was horribly abused, persecuted by his own people, even people from his own hometown of Anathoth. He was eventually, uh, after the, the Babylonians took over Jerusalem, he was eventually carried off against his will to Egypt. And as far as we know, he, he lived the rest of his life there and died there. But, against all the pressure to modify his message, he never did. He said he spoke only what God told him to say. And my question is, how did Jeremiah make this transition between this feeling of inadequacy to being an iron pillar, a fortified wall? And how does that happen for us? Well, God equipped Jeremiah for his task by two visions. And that's what comes next in this passage. The first vision is in verses 11 and 12. And the word of the Lord came to me, Jeremiah, what do you see? I see an almond branch. Then the Lord said to me, you have seen well, for I am watching over my word to perform it. Now we read that in English and we think, we think I don't get it. Well, what's the connection here between the almond tree and watching? We don't get it in English because um, it's a word play. And the word play is in Hebrew. The word for almond is the word shaket. And the word for watching is shoket. They're almost identical. There's one letter difference. And that's the, that's the word pun that God is making here with Jeremiah. The almond tree is one of the earliest trees to bloom in Palestine. And in fact, the modern day village of Anat, which was ancient Anathoth, Jeremiah's hometown, is still noted today for its almonds. It's the earliest one. It's kind of like our dogwood tree in the spring here. When everything else is still 
are still no leaves on the trees. Uh, you see dogwood trees bloom out, those white, white blooms. That's, that's what the almond tree puts out as well. And it's a promise of spring. I mean, every spring it happens. This explosion of blossoms in the forest. When we first moved here, we early in spring, like March, we drove through the National Forest and you could just see those white redbud trees. And that's all that was blooming. No other trees, no other leaves on the trees. And it was a promise of spring. We know what's coming next. We know there's going to the migratory birds are going to move in. The grass is going to turn green. Eventually those leaves are going to pop out of the, of the trees. These hardwood trees are the last seen to, seen to they come out. And the blossom itself, you know, is beautiful to look at. But it's more than that. It's anticipation of what is to come. It's a promise. Like words, as God says, I am watching over my word to perform it. God's words are like almond blossoms. They're promises, anticipations of what is about to take place. Those words become something. The Word became flesh. The Word of God is living and active, sharper than a double-edged sword. Now as we read in 2 Timothy, Scripture is God-breathed, profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, for training in righteousness. What do you see, Jeremiah? I see a shaken. Good, God says. You see very well. Because I am shoked my word to perform it. I'm watching over my word like a shepherd watches over his sheep. And not one of those words is going to wander off. Not one will be lost. I will bring every word to some kind of living completion. That's what God was showing Jeremiah. The method was audiovisual. You had the visual image joined with this auditory pun of shaked and shoked. And every spring for the rest of his life, I imagine Jeremiah, when he saw the almond blossom, shaked, thought of Shoket. I'm watching over my word to perform it. And probably for the rest of his life, every time he heard the word watching, Shoket, he thought about Shoket, the almond. Do we have that kind of confidence in God's word? You know, there's no living the life of faith whether a prophet or whether a person, other person, without some kind of sustaining vision like this. That God is active. That His Word is performing as it goes out. At some deep level, we need to be convinced in some way or other, we need periodic reminders that God's words are not mere words. They're promises to be fulfilled.
And they will be. God performs what He announces. He does what He says. Do you believe that? I mean, do you believe that deep down? You know? Philippians 1.6 says, It is God who began a good work in you, and He will bring it to completion on the day of Christ Jesus. That's speaking to you and to me. He who began a good work in you will bring it to completion. That's a word that is living and active and will performing, and it is being performed in the present. Now, God is bringing about those His purposes for you and me. The second vision is found beginning in verse 13 through 16. The word of the Lord came to me a second time saying, What do you see? And I said, I see a boiling pot facing away from the north. Then the Lord said to me, Out of the north disaster shall be let loose on all the inhabitants of the land. For behold, I am calling all the tribes of the kingdoms of the north, declares the Lord, and they shall come, and everyone shall set his throne at the entrance of the gates of Jerusalem, against all its walls and all around, and against all the cities. And I will declare my judgments against them for they, for all their evil in forsaking me. They have made offerings to other gods and worshipped the works of their own hands. A boiling pot. The pot was tipped so that the scalding water spilled out to the south. It was tipped away from the north so it would spill out to the south. The village of Anathoth and the streets of Jerusalem would have been in its path as it was poured out. This boiling water cascading down toward Israel is identified as enemy armies poised for an invasion into Judah. And this imminent destruction is linked with God's judgment. God says He is judging His people. He's declaring judgments against them for all the evil they have done in forsaking Him. Following after other gods. They have abandoned their relationship with Him and taken up their little religious rituals. And this war would interrupt that. It would put a stop to that. They would have to attend to what is essential. Life and death. God and humanity. Faith and faithfulness. Covenant and obedience. The subject of the vision here is negative in contrast to the almond vision. But its message has a positive aspect as well. For its effect in essence is to contain evil here. You see the boiling pot is a container. It's located in a specific place at a spe- on a specific place on the compass. Neither Jeremiah nor the people needed a vision to tell them that uh, danger was gathering momentum in the north. Everybody knew that. 
It did not. It did though take take a vision to see that this evil had limits. The boiling pot vision named named located and limited the evil that was afflicting everyone. In fact, there was this sort of paranoia going on, metaphysical paranoia about the Babylonians as they were beginning to gather and becoming stronger and stronger. And so God, after showing the vision, says to Jeremiah, but you, verse 17, dress yourself for work. Arise and say to them everything I have commanded you. Do not be dismayed by them, lest I dismay you before them. A man who fears man also has God to fear. Has, has to fear God. But a man who fears God has no fear of man. You know, we uh, there's a lot going on in the world today, and uh, with our 24-hour news cycle, it's always flooding in us, in on us. What's happening in Ukraine? What's happening in the cities like Los Angeles and Chicago? The high uh, crime rate. The crisis at the border. Uh, it just goes on and on. And uh, uninstructed and untrained, that we let that evil sort of seep through the atmosphere. And uh, our emotions are kind of like a fog. It's like everything is this foggy gray with all this negativity. And in such an atmosphere, we're terrorized. You know, and since we, we, if, you're, if you're one of those people who are always watching the news, it's like you can't get away from it. You're, you're, every rumor, you're, you're, you're jumping at every noise. Uh, edgy, anxious. Now, certainly, certainly there is evil in the world. And we have, to, we have to face that, admit that there's a great deal of it. So with all that evil, how can we relax? How can we engage in such a undramatic actions as giving a cold glass of water to a stranger? How can we how can we think about you know what is what is God doing right now right here where I am and how do I attend to that? The vision supplies the answer to that. Evil is not everything and it's not everywhere. It has a limit. It's named. It has an origin and it has a finish. The boiling pot reduces evil to a location. We can't afford to live in, in a naive, be naive about evil. Uh, it has, has to be faced, but we can't be intimidated by it either. Actually, evil has always been used by God to bring about good. That's one of the most extraordinary aspects 
of the gospel, of the good news, that God uses bad men to accomplish good purposes. You think of the cross. God used the evil rulers in Jerusalem and the godless Roman authorities to crucify Jesus Christ. And it was a judgment. God was passing judgment then. He was passing judgment on our sins. God used those evil men to bring about that judgment on our sins. He took the Father's wrath in our place to bring about salvation, to bring about good. You know, the great paradox of judgment is that evil becomes the fuel in the furnace of salvation. Uh, It must frustrate the devil to no end. If we forget that news headlines are footnotes to Scripture and not the other way around, we will finally be afraid to get out of bed in the morning. God is sovereign over all. Too often we we get our interpretation of politics and economics and morals from journalists when we should just be getting information. The meaning, the meaning that's going on in the world we get from God's Word. We must have a God-centered worldview where we start with God at the beginning. He is real, He is active, and He is sovereign. Think of of it as concentric circles. There's God in the center. Real, active, sovereign. Out to the next circle is beliefs. That is, we believe God's Word. That His Word is truth. And from that we get our values, our our, our beliefs. Our beliefs. And the, the third circle is values. From our beliefs... We, our values flow. What is important? What is important in life? What is important in my life? What is important in, in my relationship with God and what He's doing in my life? And the last circle is behavior. Value, our, our values extend then carry itself out in our behavior. You can go the other way. Behavior really reveals our values. And our values reveal what we believe. And what we believe reveals what is at the center of our worldview. We must have a God-centered worldview. God is active. As I said at the beginning here, you know, those two convictions, that God is personal, alive, and active, and that what's happening right now is important, is central. God is watching over His Word to perform it. His Word will accomplish its purposes. Evil is limited. It's used by God for His ends. Some of that ends is judgment. He was judging. He was judging Israel for their idolatry. But it doesn't stop there. He brought them back from Babylon after that 70 years of captivity. 
And Jeremiah speaks about a new covenant. Covenant in Christ. Sometimes God uses that evil for discipline for His people. He brings about things in our lives to discipline us. Second Timothy 3 again. Profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction. God uses His Word for that. And for training in righteousness. He uses it then to show His mercy as well. In fact, God's discipline really is mercy. It's God's grace that He does that to bring us back because He loves His children. You know, we can be a fortified city, an iron pillar, strong walls in our walk with God. Paul said, I'm not ashamed of the gospel. It is the power of God for salvation. And God has called us to be witnesses to that good news to others. Let's pray. Lord God, thank You that Your Word never returns void, but accomplishes all that You set out for it to do. We pray, Lord, that as we leave here this morning, Give us the assurance, Lord, that You will be with us to deliver us. You will be with us to execute Your Word as we speak it. May we be positive, Lord, about what You're doing and what You're going to do. Remove from us, Lord, this anxiety about what's going on in the world. It's Your world, Lord. And You're working Your purposes. Thank You for the assurance, Lord, through Your Word this morning to Jeremiah. In Christ we pray. Amen.